They got O'Neill on him. Morant will try to drive, and he does with a scoop wow. and a score! You, you want to go to the Cowboys, Julio? Or you want to stay in Atlanta? Oh, man, nah, I'm out of there, man. This time was 9 for 9 the previous game. There's one more coming now. Hello and welcome to the Dorm Room Dispute Podcast. I am Mitchell Kaminsky, and boy, we had a great week of sports. This is the best first round of the NBA playoffs I can remember in a long time. And you know what? You have the play-in tournament to thank for that. Uh, Whoever came up with that, you should not be fired, unlike what LeBron James says, because you're seeing a lot of interesting matchups. I think you're seeing some uh, competitive games early. Now, listen, there's going to be their fair share of blows, but I think it's a very intriguing first round, and I am loving every minute of it. Minute of it. Yeah, I can't, this, I've been waiting all week to talk about this. This is the one problem with our, our time slot Thursday. This game happened back on Sunday, but uh, you know what? I, I want to tip my cap to the Memphis Grizzlies. This is my new favorite team in basketball. They represent everything the NBA is against. They have no huge major stars. I mean, John Morant's going to get there eventually, but he's kind of flies under the radar. They play team basketball, number two. They play good defense. There's ball movement. They they have a big man down low. Actually, he's grinding in the paint. He's getting offensive rebounds. You never see that. It's always spacing the floor and chucking. I I love the way they say They're diving after loose balls. They're setting good screens. This is the way the basketball was meant to be played. It's everything that the modern NBA is against. This is not a super team. They're just a bunch of young, scrappy, rookie, second-year players. The youngest team in the NBA. And they're out there playing their ass off every night, and I love it. That game, game one against Utah, hell, even even against the Warriors, and I was rooting for the Warriors that, that one game because I wanted to see Steph in the playoffs, but the way they pulled that out in uh, Oakland, I was shocked. I mean, I didn't think they were beating Golden State in that game uh, on the road. The fact that they came out there and did in overtime against Steph Curry, really impressive. John Morant took over in the back half of that game. And then game one against Utah, that was a, and listen, I know Donovan Mitchell's out. And I'm not saying they're going to win the series because they're probably not. We saw what happened in game two. But I love the way, I love the way they played. They were down by like 10 or 11. They could have panicked. They battened down the hatches. They played really good defense. They frustrated Rudy, Rudy Gobert down in the paint. Everyone got involved. The, the ball movement, oh, I love it. They're diving after the loose ball. There was one, Jaron Jackson, Blocks a shot on the one end. They push it up the floor, and then he gets the three at the back. Oh, man. Fantastic. And Dylan Brooks going up. I love this. It's great. You see, like I said, there's a loose ball on the floor. They're diving after it. They're going after rebounds. It's a hustle, scrappy team. Look at all these other teams. Super teams. You look at L.A. They they tanked so they wouldn't have to play the Lakers. They're scared of them. They, they, they're terrible in the fourth quarter. Like, the, the Grizzlies' fourth quarter execution, I was, like, pretty impressed with how they closed out that game one against the Jazz and the fact that they were able to pull out the win against uh, Golden State there. Grit and grind is back, baby. I like it. This is a good team. This is a, this is a fun team. And I love the way that roster is constructed, too. <laughs> it's like the ideal basketball roster. You got your two really good scorers there. You got a great guard and Ja Morant, an exciting point guard. Uh, the the star player of your team. You got a number two guy with Dylan Brooks there. You got your European big man. You have your token white guy off the bench that can shoot threes. <laughs> and, um, uh, with the Dookie there, uh, Grayson Allen. Um, yeah, 
Like I said, I I love that team. That that is a fun team, and they're going to be good in the next couple of years. John Morant, though, in all seriousness, I mean, he needs to get a little bit more credit in the NBA world because Zion Williamson, you know, he gets all the headlines in the NBA. We're always talking about how great Zion is. You know, Zion Zion's not in the playoffs. Out of that draft, are we sure that John Morant's not the best player out of that draft right now? And I know Zion's excellent, but. He had a lot more star power on his team. That was a team that was expected to get to the playoffs. That Pelicans team. You had Brandon Ingram. You had Lonzo Ball. You had all these big stars coming in. You had J.J. Redick. That was a team, you know, that should have been a playoff team on paper. No one really thought much of the Grizzlies over there. Same conference, too, so you can't use that excuse. Like, oh, well, you know, it's a hard conference. and the One's constantly hurt. The other one's not. The one's a star right now in the playoffs. The other one hasn't played a playoff game. And I think we start. We got to give. And this is no knock on Zion. I like I said, excellent player. But let's start giving John Moran a little bit more credit, because as of right now, he is the best player out of that draft class. No doubt about it. Even in their loss, he's scoring forty-seven points, and they lost that game. And the last two ones they won, he closed out the one in overtime. Game one against the Jazz, phenomenal down the stretch, took over in that fourth quarter too. That's that's a good team. I like Ja. Let's give him a little bit more credit. Now, listen, they're probably going to lose that series uh, to the Jazz, especially that Donovan Mitchell's back. That was kind of an interesting situation. He was upset with the Jazz that he had to sit out game one. And, yeah, if I'm, and I can understand that as a competitor, you, you don't want to. But, like, let's not. I know he's mad at the Jazz. But if you're the Jazz, I mean, come on. If you're Donovan Mitchell, you got to be thinking here. Why would the, the Jazz clearly aren't tanking? They're in the playoffs. They want to win. They invest enough so they could get the one seed here. They clearly are trying to win an NBA title this year. So they're not sitting you. It wasn't like a Jordan thing with minutes. So they're trying to get a draft pick. You looked slow in practice, so they decided to give you extra day off, especially because you had an extra day between those games, Sunday to Wednesday, an extra four days to recover. I mean, they made the right decision. Well, game one is not going to kill you. Just ask the Lakers. LeBron loses game ones all the time. So, I mean, but yeah. That'll be an interesting one to watch, though, going back to Memphis. That should be a rocking crowd there. Um Looking forward to see how that plays out. Let's go to let's go to a team that you know, unlike the Grizzlies, they are everything I hate about the NBA nowadays. A pile-on team that tanks, they take nights off, they pick and choose when they want to play defense, and you know what? They make a lot of excuses. Excuses. I'm talking, of course, about the Los Angeles Clippers. Now, this team, they are going to get what they deserve here in this series against the Mavericks, and this is why. This is when it happened, it was so frustrating there, and you knew they were done. You knew this was not as soon as I saw this, you knew they weren't a championship caliber team. Last two games of the season, they were playing the Houston Rockets. Terrible team. They've blown it up. They've traded everyone. They're one of the worst teams in the NBA. And then the Oklahoma City Thunder, who are the worst team in the NBA, record rise. You look at that roster, it's a whole bunch of There's two games that you easily should have won if you were the Clippers. And they lost both of them. And you would think on paper, looking at it, be like, hmm, that is strange. That should not happen. They got upset two nights in a row. Well, they clearly tanked. They didn't play their stars that game. They were worried because if they won those two games, they would have been a number two seed, and they would have had to play the Los Angeles Lakers, who were the seventh seed, knowing that the Lakers were going to be there. And they were scared of the Lakers. They didn't want to do that. So they lose those two purposely so they could drop down to the four, and then you get the Dallas Mavericks. 
Here's why I hate this, number one. Number one, you're going to have, you're resting your stars two days before the playoffs. That's a lot of rust that's going to build up before the playoffs actually start because you have to go through all the playing games. Rust builds up. Number two, they were talking last year. It's like, well, they didn't get enough chemistry together playing time. They, it was, well, what are we doing? I think you would be ramping it up before the playoffs. The Lakers and AD, they played their last two games. They were ramping it up right before the playoffs. Why wouldn't they do Number two, you're giving the Mavericks bulletin board material. Like, oh, you don't want to play the Lakers, but you're fine with facing us. You don't think they're going to see that as a disrespect and come in there firing? Like, come on, come on. And their fourth quarter execution, this is another reason I hate this thing. Their fourth quarter execution, unlike the Memphis Grizzlies, is terrible. It is some of the worst. They, they, it's a weird team where, like, if they're not up eight or nine points, like, if they're up eight or nine points, they just batten down the hatches defensively, they're going to win the game. If it's a close game, they cannot score late. It turns into a bunch of iso ball. Paul George is chucking up threes. Kawhi Leonard you know, is going one on one. He's got to do. They don't. They don't move the ball around. They don't run an offense. It just goes out the window. They cannot score in the fourth quarter. Their execution is terrible. And you have a guy there that's an NBA champion in Kawhi Leonard. You got Paul George, the point guard, or excuse me, uh, Rondo is the point guard. It should not be this bad. <laughs> like Tyloo, veteran head coach, he's won a title. I don't. It, it, it's baffling. Yeah, I love it because it's a pile-on team that doesn't deserve to be there. It's like, yeah, I mean, come on. Building your super team here, and look how it worked out. And they make so many excuses. They're talking after they lost that second one. They're like, oh, you know, we're not worried yet. They sound like the guy from Chernobyl as the uh, nuclear reactor is breaking down. If you've watched the HBO show, he's like, oh, there's nothing to worry about. It's fine. Standard procedure. Now 2-0. We lost two games at home. Now we're on the road. But it's okay. It's not okay. That team better be worried because... That thing's getting blown up. Like, if they don't win, there's going to be a massive roster overhaul. And I was told that this is the team also making a bunch of excuses last year. Oh, it's Doc Rivers' fault. We're going to fire Doc Rivers. He was the problem. I mean, Doc Rivers now coaching the 76ers. They're a one seed. And they're going to sweep their first round playoff series. So I don't think it was Doc Rivers' fault. The, the Doc Rivers, who, by the way, has won an NBA championship with a super team in Boston, so he knows how to manage a lot of egos. Uh, you would think you'd want him behind your bench. He's been through a lot of playoff series. Uh, why would we fight? So, Doc, one of the best coaches in the NBA. Yeah, it was his fault. We're going to fire him. Okay. Then I was told, oh, it's Lou Williams. Oh, we need we, Lou Williams in fifth of the rotation. We got to trade him and get a veteran point guard. That's the problem. They ditch Lou Williams. They get playoff Rondo. Playoff Rondo's really not helping right now. He's trying, but there's only so much you can do. He's not even, he's enough to uh, mask the stench of way off P in the playoffs. Old pandemic P's returning. Oh, and then you were told, well, they, we didn't get enough playing time together last year. Hey, you got plenty of playing time together this year to figure things out. Yeah, I think if you lose, like, your, your rest dates for Paul George are done. You cannot have any more rest days. You even do run it back next year. They're going to lose this series to the Mavericks. Which is sad because the Mavericks don't play a whole, whole lick of defense. Like, they, they don't in the fourth quarter. So the fact that they can't score them in the fourth quarter against the Mavericks, who are, like I said, not known for their defense. That is why they are not a championship caliber team this year is because they don't play good enough defense. And the Clippers, with two superstars, cannot score on them. It's pathetic. Right, we'll see what excuse they come up with next. They say they're not panicking. They should be panicking. 
Patrick Beverly is more of an instigator right now. I don't think he's actually, like, they all say, and all of these guys are telling me, oh, great two-way defender. Kawhi, great two-way defender. Yeah, Is he really? Because I, I have not seen one person on that team that stepped up and been able to stop Luka Doncic. He is having their way. I know Luka Doncic can score in the fourth quarter against all these great two-way defenders. And people are comparing him to Jordan Pittman. Oh, not even close. Are we sure Kawhi is even that great of a two-way defender now? I mean, he was great with San Antonio, but I mean, he's been more of a scorer now since. I mean, I'm sure he can defend, but is he really this lockdown defender that we're all painting him to be? Same with Paul George. He got torched by Luka the other day. Torch. Tim Hardaway's putting up great numbers on him. I thought Pat Bev and Lou, uh, Paul George and Kawhi are supposed to be these great defensive stoppers. Yeah. I'll believe it when I see it. Now, I also don't buy I don't buy this narrative like Kawhi is going to leave after this year. I think they're blowing up the roster. I think Paul George, he's getting his ass shipped out of there. And I think it's going to be a major construction overhaul once they do end up losing this series because I don't think they're coming back. But let's be honest here. Where's Kawhi going to go? He came to California because he wanted to be home and play in Staples Center. He's not going anywhere. Where is he going to go? He's going to be staying there. They'll bat some other pieces around him, I'm sure. They'll come up with some other excuse, but yeah. And I don't think he's, I, I honestly don't believe, I don't think, that part of the problem is too, I don't think Kawhi is kind of like wacky like that. If you look at all these teams, he's, not, he's a, the two championship teams he's been on, I mean, if you count the Spurs ones and then the, this one, he hasn't had to be like the leader on that team. Uh, in Toronto, while he was the best player, and he was excellent in that, there wasn't a whole lot of pressure on him. Uh, so the expectations are low. They weren't expected to win. And you had Kyle Lowry, who's kind of the veteran vocal leader in that locker room. So, yeah, it was very easy for him. The Spurs, obviously, great culture there. You were underdogs against the Heat, and that's when he played really well. He, he was like the fourth option on that team because he had Parker, Ginobili, uh, Tim Duncan, Greg Popovich. Didn't have to be a leader on that team. No pressure. Thrive. Now there's pressure and expectations on him. They're the, he's the guy that they're all looking to, and they're folding. They are folding. They find another scapegoat to blame, I guess. But yeah, I, 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 I'm glad. I hope. I don't think they will be a sweep. I hope the Mavericks sweep them because they deserve it. That is what you get for being a pansy and running away from the Lakers, showing everyone that you're scared. That's what happens. So congratulations. You're now going to be eliminated from the first round. What a joke. And at home, too. Those games are both at home, which makes it even better. You could tell game one who wanted it a lot more. It's, they just don't look, yeah. It's almost like they're sleepwalking, going through the motions out there. All right. Now, you, you know, um, we'll, we'll get to this, too. Russell West, will, excuse me, Russell Westbrook, uh, that's, that his team's probably going to get swept. But that wasn't really the storyline the other night. He was leaving with an ankle injury. He rolled an ankle as he was walking out of Philadelphia. The Philly fans, they're well known for being classy. They're, they're climbing up poles after the Super Bowl. They're punching horses. You know, they're really civilized down there. Uh, I mean, their most famous athlete was a fictional boxer. So they're not known to be the smartest people down in Philly. A bunch of Neanderthals down there. But one of the fans for Philadelphia decided to pour popcorn on uh, Russell Wilson as he's walking out. Obviously, it's a classless move. <laughs> Russell Wilson... Uh, Russell Wilson, Russell Westbrook, Russell Wilson wasn't there, Russell Westbrook, he was livid, tried to go up and fight him, he had to be held back, and you know what, in his press conference, I actually thought, he, you know, he made some good points, he's like, fans gotta be held accountable for shit, if I was walking down the street, you wouldn't dump popcorn on my head, you know what would happen, if I was walking down the street, some of the things are being yelled at me, the disrespect I get, 
You wouldn't say that to my face in the street. And you know what? He's right. And Charles Barkley had at this point after the game, I think what the NBA should do is they should bring the fan down to center court and they can let the two settle it like men in front of everyone and he can get his ass beat. Because like, let's, it is getting out of control. All these fans, you think you're so empowered sitting there. You can say whatever you want, do whatever you want. There's not going to be a consequence. Well, <laughs> that's, you wouldn't do it. If you saw Russell Westbrook in the park line, be like, oh, hey, can you sign my stamp collection? I'm a huge fan. No, he's dumping popcorn on him. I mean, that's you got to. He, he's. I think he's banned from the arena for life. But the NBA has got to do a better job cracking down on that. Which I think Adam Silver released a statement today, saying they're they're going to try and do like you know hold fans more accountable. Well, you're a fan. I mean, come on. You're paying a price of admission there to be entertained by these guys. That does not give you the luxury to say and do whatever you want. Because if you keep doing this, it's going to end up like a Turkish soccer league where there's going to be barbed wire fences around the the, the, the whole stadium. <laughs> So you can't get on the field to throw anything at him. Is that what you really want? Come on. That's one of the cool things about basketball. You're right up on the court next to everyone. You are literally like right next to the action. You can get that's you. You are the closest in basketball fans to any other sport. Right there. Do you really want to ruin that by being knuckleheads? We gotta come on. Think better. But I agree. I think they should implement that. I agree with Charles Barkley. Hundred percent. You wouldn't do that on the street. You want to do that in the arena? You know, let them bring them down there and let them, let them play. Because the players right now, they are defenseless. They know they can't go. Like, they will get in trouble if they go up there. They cannot do anything to retaliate. So the fans cannot be sitting there saying, doing whatever they want without consequence. That's that's what I think. Yeah, the malice of the palace. Everyone thought it was like, oh, it was a horrible incident. Well, you know what? That's what happens when you talk too much shit. Ron <laughs> Artest was saying, too, the fan that he beat uh beat up because it looked like it was like the wrong guy because he was like pointing at his club he's like oh i still got the liquid in mine and ryan artest kicked his ass uh he's saying afterwards it's like yeah well i found out afterwards that that fan bet the guy that threw the beer at me 50 bucks that he couldn't hit me i know this because we're cool now which i thought was kind of funny but uh yeah can't can't have that as fans i mean it's kind of common sense there but you know that's my piece on that uh Around the play, the other series that I've been really intrigued by has been the whole Atlanta New York series. And mind you, I just said this before: it's just two teams that have no shot at winning, but it's going to be an absolute war of a series. It's two franchises that have been starving to get back to the playoffs. Both of them haven't really been relevant in like a decade. I mean, if we're being completely honest, especially the Knicks. And basketball is better when New York is back and that garden has been rocking i love it it's kind of like the mixture of the perfect like this is a really cool environment and like damn these fans are annoying and it is great i am a huge fan of it trey villain it trey villain (laughs) trey young it might be trey villain now in new york trey young is playing the villain perfectly there after he hits the game winner uh he's telling him oh it's like real quiet in here he's shushing him um he drops the uh, 20 in the first half the other day at a great 30 point outing after they lost he's shouting oh we'll see you back in the uh, the a oh, i love this series this has been this has been great uh, i love the fact that the de blasio is having a press conference talking about him you know with trey young i think these knicks fans are starting to realize too if you don't watch a whole lot of atlanta basketball uh trey young is really annoying to play against like it is frustrating because he does this little stop and start move where he will blow by you. He's got great handles. He'll break your ankles. He'll have a path to the basket. Instead of going up for the basket, he will stop 
so you can make contact with him and follow him. It is very frustrating to watch and play against. He's kind of got that like smug look about him, and he's always celebrating. He's very cocky. He knows how good he is. Where yeah. He is very easy to hate. He is he is playing this role of villain perfectly. I love it. And if I was the Knicks fans, I would just say, be careful what you wish for here. Uh, I wouldn't try and antagonize him too much. You saw how that worked with Reggie Miller. So you can chant Trey is balding all you want. You do all that. I mean, it's fun. And I get it. It's great. But like, hey, you know what? Let's um be careful who you antagonize here because the man can shoot lights out. He gets to the line. He's getting calls in the playoffs. Uh yeah, have fun with that. I think that's gonna that's gonna be an interesting series the way out. And the New York side too. And this is a, you know this actually does this may is a feel good story for me. Uh, Derrick Rose is been the heart and soul of that Knicks. And now you know they have a lot of their the team, Knicks are like another scrappy. They're like Memphis. I like them because they are scrappy. They play their ass off. They have defense. They get contributions up and down the lineup. They play a truly team game. But uh, you know you get the guys like R.J. Barrett and uh, Julius Randle. They get a lot. Most of the notoriety is like they're like the two better players on that team. Derrick Rose is the leader of that locker room, and you can tell. I mean, if you look at that game, the way he played in Game Two, it looked Julius Randle in the first half looked like he was back in the Staples Center. He was nowhere to be found. Uh, and Derrick Rose kind of weathered the storm. He righted the ship. He got him back into that game. He drove 26 points, even in game one. Crunch time. Who would they give the ball to? Derrick Rose would take the final shot, which tells you all you need to know. And the, the fact that he's kind of changed, he had, a, he had a post about this on his Instagram, which really said it all. He had like a chess analogy. And it was like his queen was taken very early on. What made him great in Chicago was his athleticism. He was a freak of nature, uh, just so athletically gifted. And his knees gave up. That was his queen. Best piece on the board, gone. And he slowly worked his way back up the board. And it was a long road, and it was a grind to get there. Uh, and a lot of people righted him off. This is like in a chess match. You lose your queen pretty early on. It's pretty hard to write him off. He worked his paw, metaphorical pawns up the board. He, and he he's back in the game now, and he's kind of found a new uh, new style. He's found his niche, so to speak, the way he plays, and he's playing some great. He's playing some of the best basketball I think he has in his career. It looks like he's enjoying the game. He's comfortable with the people around him. It's kind of like that Chicago Bulls reunion there. They got the Garden rocking, and he helped bring New York basketball back, which is another notch on his resume, which is why he absolutely should be a Hall of Famer in my book. The youngest MVP ever to do that in Chicago, and now he's coming back, and he helped bring New York basketball back. Which is, but if you watch these games, they're just rocking. You just see him after the game, these Knicks fans outside, and Derrick Rose is a huge part of that. He is right in the center of it. Because he is the he is the leader in that team, of that team. I, I, I am just so happy for him and all that he's had to come back from, and I think it's going to be a seven-game series, and I love it. Uh, it's a shame because, like I said, I think both of these teams probably get knocked out in the second round, but uh, I'm enjoying this one for all it's worth, and you should too because the games have been phenomenal. There's been a ton of drama, really great storylines throughout. Uh, that's a fun series. Good for Derrick Rose. Uh, you know, along the Derrick Rose thing, let's get Phil, <laughs> Phil Mickelson really quickly with the golf. Everyone's like, oh, old Phil. first off, congratulations to Phil for winning the PGA uh, championship there. Um, or the, uh, yeah, which it was really looked like a really tough course. And he was leading wire to wire. I thought he was going to choke, especially day three. He had a three-shot lead. Brooks Kepka tied it up. And then uh, Phil came right back, got the lead back, held on to it for all of Sunday, which uh, <laughs> sleeping on a lead is not fun. 
It's not fun sleeping on a lead. You don't get much sleep the night before in golf when you're sleeping on a lead. I wouldn't know, but uh, I heard, I can't imagine it's fun. And Phil came out there, handled his business. And this is what I want to say. that He's the oldest uh, player ever to win uh, a major at 50 years old. And I think that was getting way overblown, especially in the sport of golf. Age is just a number. This ageism needs to stop, especially with like, oh, Tom Brady, he's so old. He has a disadvantage. How is he doing this? And he's in golf, especially with Phil. It's, golf is more relevant, it's, too. Golf is such a mental game. It's like you one bad, you could be playing great, you have one bad hole, you unravel very quickly. And our golf coach used to say in high school, you always look at like, if you have a bad hole, what he would look at is not the score on the bad hole, it's the hole after how did you respond. Because you have to be mentally tough to come back out there. You double bogey the one. You come back out there and par the next one. That shows like, hey, he can, he can forget about it. You have to have a short memory. You have to laser focus the entire time. Because each one of these shots, especially when you're on the level that he is, it's worth millions of dollars. You're lined up, you shank one, that's, that could cost you potentially millions of dollars. So don't you think when you're older and you've had more experience, you're a little bit wiser, that would be an advantage for the sport of golf? He's battle-tested, number one. He's been through this before. He knows what it is like where you have a younger player like Bryson DeChambeau. He isn't, I mean, doesn't have the same experience that Phil Mickelson does. I think that would be an advantage. Knows how to handle these situations. Been through it before. Older and wiser, you're more mentally tough. And he can still hit the balls as far as he could. He's still hitting bombs. So I think this age thing's way overblown because I think it's more of an advantage to him than it is a disadvantage. It's like same with Tom Brady. He knows how to win. He's been through it before. The age thing is so overblown right now, especially with the medical science, because you take care of your body and yourself. The age is just a number. I am done with the ageism. I'm sticking here. Like, oh, he's too old. He can't do it anymore. So what? I will take I'll take him over I'll take Tom Brady over rookie quarterback any day right now. He's got the experience. And good for Phil too. I it, that was not too much of that was not as much of a surprise to me as it was for everyone else. Ageism needs to stop. It's a new epidemic. That's the same thing with even the presidential race. Oh, he's too old. Joe Biden's too old. Not to get political here, but like, yeah, you know what? I kind of would rather have someone that's old and been through it before. He knows he's had experience than some like 30-year-old in there. Doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Like, don't you want the person with the nuclear codes to have some life experience and some perspective? Same thing in sports. That's why I'll take a veteran every day. Any day of the week. Now, let's shift gears here uh, to well, you know, before we before we get we'll, we'll wrap up the NBA playoffs with this. Uh, the you know the Lakers they lost their game one. Everyone was panicking. They were actually underdogs in that game. If you look at the sports books in Vegas, they had a, they had the Lakers listed as underdogs. You know the Suns are playing the Suns' arch rival in the playoffs historically was Ben Kobe Bryant and the Lakers. They hadn't been in the playoffs. They're finally relevant. They're a one seed. That was a bear trap the Lakers walked into there for game one. So, of course, they're going to lose. Everyone's panicking. Oh, the Lakers are in trouble. The Lakers are in trouble. Look, they lost game one last year against the Heat. They lost game one last year against the Trailblazers. And they were just fine. Gentlemen sweeps rest of the way. And I think this one is probably going to be, especially with Chris Paul out, a gentleman sweep. It's it's going to be over in five. I think. Now, I will say this. I am not a huge fan of the Lakers and that LeBron. He always has that feel-out process in game one. It's like, hey, you really want to be... 
I don't like that necessarily. It's work for him though. He is 47 and 0 after losing in game one. He he's never lost uh, game two in the first round of the playoffs, which is incredible. Never lost a game two in the first round after losing game one. That 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 to me is like wow. That's pretty impressive. I don't think he's lost a first round playoff series in his career either. It's even more impressive. Uh, especially with some of those Cleveland teams he was on. But well, the Lakers here, and this is, especially with Chris Paul, and this this is tough for the Suns because I really did think this was going to be a good series. Initially, I had Lakers in six, and it was going to be a hard-fought six. Uh, but Chris Paul out, you can tell he can't do anything. He couldn't even pass the ball like he wanted to. And when Chris Paul, even if he's not scoring, he's the only player in the NBA to have over 100 assists to three different players. So he runs that offense. Mikael Bridges... Uh, DeAndre Aiden, Devin Booker, 100 assists to each of them. He gets people involved, and he can score. He's a crafty veteran out there. I love Chris Paul, and the injury luck with him in the playoffs is so tough because the Rockets a couple years ago, they would have went to the finals if he didn't have that uh, ankle thing, or was it the knee? He had an injury late, missed the final two games of that series. They ended up losing. They would have won that one, and I think this one would have been a lot more competitive if they had Chris Paul. They knew he was a decoy, though, out in game two. He could barely take his shirt off. That's when you knew, ugh. This is not going to be good. I don't think he's going to be a non-factor the rest of the series. I don't see it. And I think that the Lakers are going to start to roll. Now, I will say this for the Lakers. Anthony Davis is playing way too much bought-up jumper basketball. I get he can shoot. I get he can shoot the three, too. He doesn't have to show it on every possession, man. He's got to get his ass down to the blocks because the Lakers have the size advantage in all these games. And you saw it in game one. Way too many mid-range jumpers. Get your ass down to the blocks and post someone up. You're big, strong. You're best, one of the best centers in the game, if not the best center in the game. You get down to the blocks and start dominating. Impose your will. You saw when the when Ben Simmons ran over the one guy for the, the Wizards in game two, it was over right there. Bully him. Bully some people down in the paint. And look, I know with Andre Drummond down there, it's kind of tough because they like to, Anthony Davis doesn't like to play the five. He likes to play the four. And statistically, they were better this year, actually, when Drummond was off the floor. But Drummond's a very capable player. So if he's having the game he is, then fine. Anthony Davis, you get a pass game two. You get, and he, it's not to say he played poorly. He played excellent in game two. He made some big shots late. But I don't like, late in the game, I'm not settling. And it went in, so it worked out. But let's not look at this results-based. Because, like, yes, it, it went in. But I don't want my biggest shot of the game being taken by a, a big man from three. Like if you need a bucket late, Anthony Davis has got to be doing more to get inside, in my opinion. Uh, too a little bit too much spot up shooting from them. But you know what? It worked out. If Anthony, if Andre Drummond's kind of the key there, especially the rest of the way, and once they get out of this first round, it's like he can keep playing like the way he is. Then fine, you have a pass. But they got to start imposing because they're going to be bigger than almost all the teams they play. Start imposing your will down low, because it's a lot harder to stop Anthony Davis in the post than it is to stop him from shooting a jumper. Because if he shoots the jumper, there's a good chance he's going to miss because he's a big man. So that's what I would like to see more from them. But they closed it out. They're going to win the rest of the series. I'm taking the Lakers in four there. I wouldn't be too worried for the Suns. I'd be a little concerned. You're heading back to L.A. They stole one from you at home. <sighs> good luck. I know Cameron Payne went off in game two. I've seen the Cameron Payne experience one too many times with Chicago. I know he's a better player now. But uh, if that's who your starting point guard is, Good luck against LeBron James and the Lakers there. Schroeder even played a lot better, too. They couldn't stop him from going inside. Uh, it's just a deep team, man. That's that's, that's They're the team that's going to win the NBA Finals for me. Especially when you watch them early. 
bounce back from game one. They they got out a scrappy win in game two. The two stars closed it out, AD and LeBron. Against the Warriors, they played terrible. Steph had a great first half, making like half-court shots. LeBron had one of the worst quarters in his career, and they still won that game. Yeah, that's a team that they're they're going to win. They're, they're going to win the finals, I think. Now, I will say this for the Brooklyn Nets. They did play a slum defense against the Celtics, so that was intriguing. The Nets are... The Nets are a team I'm kind of turning around on. I do like watching them. That is, it is fun, and I'm rooting for the Celtics, but they're a fun team, man. I tell you, that's that is a very fun team to watch. The way they play the game, you get three. You expect Kyrie Irving. He is like he is. You know, the what he does with the offensively, it's the, way, the different ways he can score is great. They move the ball well, and like I said, they started to play a little defense. Will it be enough when they start playing some real competition? Probably not, but. Uh, yeah, for, for the Celtics fans there, too. That's what happens when you got to try and win every draft. You know, you should have went out and you got another star. You settled for Kemba Walker. And you got Jabari Parker. They should have made the move of the deadline. This is what happens. Same with the Heat, man. You look there. I mean, I guess you go through that. They had Tyler Hero, and they like, wouldn't trade him. Like, we have a chance to get James Harden. We'll give you anyone on the roster except for Jimmy Butler and... Tyler Hero was the other player they would not give up. And look how Tyler Hero is working out right now. That's kind of a guy. My brother always says this about Kyle Kuzma. They're like, hey, if Kyle Kuzma wasn't in L.A. with all the distractions there, he would be a star in this league because he's so talented. And as it is, he's already pretty good. Tyler Hero feels like kind of similar because he got when he went off in the bubble with no distractions there, not a whole lot of fans, nothing you can really do out in the bubble. He went off because he's talented. Now he becomes a star in Miami. He walks around, and he's kind of like a folk hero down there. It's very easy to get distracted, Miami. Miami and L.A., the two favorite cities for NBA teams to travel to on the road, there's a reason why. There's a lot to do down there. It gets very distracting, especially when, you know, you get a little full of yourself. And he's been terrible these first two games. He has been absolutely terrible. You would have had him. You better have a better – if you had James Harden, you would have parted with dear old Tyler Hero – you know, I think things would have been a little different for you. That's what happens when you put too much faith in a 20-year-old white guy. All right, moving on to the NFL. This this was making, there's some big big drama, big drama in the NFL world here. Aaron Rodgers' situation, first and foremost, uh, he was on an ESPN interview, and he spoke his piece about the Packers, and it doesn't look like that situation's getting any better. He's, he missed OTAs. He's taking the fine. Doesn't look like he minds, though. You see all these videos. He's with his uh, fiance down in Hawaii. He's playing the guitar. They're dancing. He's having a good time. He could care less about being in OTAs at Green Bay right now. He's willing to pay the financial penalty. And he bet, he doubled down on this ESPN interview. He was like, listen, he's, he didn't want to talk about it much. You could tell. But he's like, it's about the people and the relationships. I have nothing against the Packers. I have nothing against Jordan Love. He's a great kid. But it's about the people and the relationships. And that, to me, tells you everything you need to know. He's probably going to be gone. Aaron Rodgers is a very stubborn, petty man. He's going to win this battle. And you know what? I don't blame him. It's kind of like when LeBron left Cleveland. Cleveland fans could have been angry. Like He did so much for your team and community. Can you really be upset? He fulfilled his end of the bargain. Aaron Rodgers has fulfilled his obligation to the Packers. One, it's Green Bay. Who wants to live in Green Bay? I wouldn't want to live in Green Bay. It's terrible there. Their fans are a bunch of nutjobs. They're wearing cheese on their heads. 
their their diet consists of bratwurst and cheese and sausage. It's disgusting. They're disgusting people up in Green Bay. They make me sick. Aaron Rodgers is this cool California kid. He, he's from California. He's, you know, look at where he's at right now. He's out in the, the uh, laughing it up right now in Hawaii. He's warm weather. Cool California guy. Comes to Green Bay, the weather's freezing. He's got all these nut jobs wearing cheese heads. And it's like, all right, well, this is not a great fit. But he made it work. He made it work. Doesn't always have to be a great fit in life. Aaron Rodgers made the best of it. And by the way, when he gets to Green Bay, the quarterback there, Brett Favre, and placing legend, Brett Favre was not happy that he was there. He didn't get any help from Brett. Brett was downright rude to him from what I heard. He did not want him to take his job. He was upset that they had a replacement lined up. So he had to deal with that. You know, with the cold weather in Green Bay, the poor fit, he gets there, he's not really welcomed by the star quarterback, and finally he takes over the job. And he excels at it. For over a decade, he wins him a Super Bowl. His defenses were terrible in the playoffs. And he makes the most of it. He keeping him in that shootout against the Arizona Cardinals, I believe it was 2013, I want to say. Defense couldn't stop a nosebleed. He's throwing Hal Marys to keep him in the game. Takes him to NFC Championship games. Despite the fact that the Packers, they haven't drafted a receiver in 32 years. They didn't give him a whole lot of help. You look at some of these other quarterbacks around the NFL, getting shiny new toys. But Aaron Rodgers doesn't get anything. You, know, you look at Josh Allen right now. Josh Allen, he's had one good year, and that was last year, but they're giving him all the help he wants. They're keeping his offensive coordinator. They get him Stephon Diggs. Tom Brady. He goes to Tampa Bay. Yeah, I want Antonio Brown. Got him. Yeah, I want a reunion with Gronk. Got him. What Rodgers said, they're like, well, can I get some help? And despite the fact that they drafted Jordan Love over him, and he felt clearly disrespected after they went to the NFC Championship game that year before, what does he do? He goes out and wins the MVP. He could have mailed it in. He went out and played his ass off. He won the MVP for him. And they were, honestly, they could have been in the Super Bowl, but they decided the coach decides to take the ball out of his hands. So I could see why you'd be like, yeah, I've put in... My time here, it's not about the money anymore. I'm going to do something for me. So these Packers fans that are ripping Aaron Rodgers, I can understand why he'd be frustrated that he wants to leave. But let's be honest here, he's been one of the best things that's ever happened to that franchise. Because he's going to leave and succeed, and we'll see where you guys are without him next year. He made that team. He made that team. And Patrick was trying to tell me how talented that roster is. Yeah, you got some good players. You take Aaron Rodgers off that roster, it's not that good. It is not that good. You have some okay piece in the defense. You got a couple, but like, it's not that good of a team. So I'm all for Aaron. I am all for Aaron Rodgers in this situation being petty. And I think Tom Brady kind of instigated things too. When when he was to Tampa Bay and Aaron Rodgers trying to be the best quarterback in the NFL. And he sees how well it worked out for Tom Brady, which another guy that he, you know, he in cold weather, New England, doesn't really fit there. He has all the success. He finally, you know, relationship becomes toxic. He doesn't feel appreciated. He leaves. And now he's getting more praise because he goes and wins in Tampa Bay where he gets all the help. And let's be honest, like, in Tampa Bay, Tom Brady got all the help he needed. They, like, rolled out the red carpet for him. It was a perfect situation. Aaron Rodgers make the most of a less than perfect situation. He sees how it worked out for him. He's like, well, I could go to a place like Denver who would probably do the same for me. They would want me. They'd, I'd feel appreciated there. It's about the relationships. Packers have not treated him well these past couple of years. He feels like he's losing control there. A lot of suggestions don't uh, get taken. 
So, and I get you're not supposed to give the player too much power, but when you're Aaron Rodgers, you're one of the best quarterbacks, it's not the best quarterback talent-wise in this league, you know what, I'm doing everything I can to make him happy. And they haven't done it. So, there's a few times, I agree with Aaron Rodgers, and I think the Pack, even if he does come back and play for the Packers this year, they're setting themselves up for a horrible season. Because when's the last time you saw a team with the most drama in the offseason end up winning games? It doesn't work. Ask the Steelers. Drama doesn't equal winning football games. I think I saw a UFO tonight, last night. That was kind of cool. Baker Mayfield, for those of you calling him a loon, he said he saw a UFO. I think there's something to it. There's this documentary they had 60 Minutes. If you haven't seen it, you should. It's kind of freaky. U.S. government admits, yeah, there's stuff flying around we haven't identified. There's some UFOs out there. And you're talking about all these Navy pilots. There's one from 2004. They have the footage of it. Like, we couldn't recognize that thing. And there's other pilots like, yep, we've seen the same thing. There's UFOs. I was walking last night. I swear, there's this long strand of light, like beams. It's kind of lined up in a row. It's like a bunch of, bunch of like different dots in a row. And we were looking up, and it's like, that's definitely not a plane. It was way too long to be a plane. And we're watching this thing move. It's going kind of slow. And then all of a sudden, it just like, the lights slowly disappear in like a strand. And there was no cloud cover. It was clear as day. I think it was a UFO. So those of you calling Baker Mayfield crazy, I don't think he was either. Gunslinger Kaminsky, another quarterback. I've seen UFOs too. Baker Mayfield was on something. On to something. Not on something. <laughs> so you Colin Cowherd call him Baker Mayfield crazy, I think. You know what? There's something to it. The U.S. government admits they exist. Baker Mayfield saw one. I'm pretty sure I saw one last night, too. And it was kind of terrifying. All right. Let me end with this. Julio Jones. Another storyline to watch here. Where is he going to get traded to? Because we saw he's definitely going to get traded. Atlanta Falcons are upset. Because Shannon Sharp did some... Well, listen, this is kind of some shoddy journalism here. He called them in the middle of his show. And I'll be honest, people are saying that Julio had to know because of what time it was and Shannon Sharp. You listen to that conversation, I don't think Julio Jones knew that he was being recorded on speaker on national television, the way he was talking. Shannon Sharp calls him. He asked him if he's going to be in Atlanta. He's like, nah, I'm out of there, bro. And he's asking where he wants to go. He said he's not going to the Cowboys either because he wants to win, which was kind of, it was pretty funny. It was a great conversation. I just don't think Julio knew he was on the air. I wish more athletes were honest like that. But, uh, yeah, it was kind of, it was kind of, yeah, it was it was some low-brow, dirty, it was kind of a dirty trick by Shannon Sharp, assuming that Julio didn't know. Maybe he did, but from the evidence, it doesn't look like it. And Shannon Sharp could be in some hot water. Theoretically, he's criminally, uh, there's criminal liability for Sharp. In California, both parties uh, for a phone call must be, uh, must consent the call being recorded and others listening to it. So potential penalties under the California Penal Code are a $2,000 fine, a year in jail, uh, and under federal law, if Jones wasn't in California at the time he made the call, while prosecution uh, likely would go nowhere unless Jones pushed it, it would not be hard to prove violation beyond a reasonable doubt. So Shannon Sharp could be in some hot water. Uh, Jones, obviously, he's not gonna, he's not gonna prosecute. But like, that was a problem. And then for the Atlanta Falcons, I heard they are ticked off too because uh, they've complained to the NFL already, and the NFL is probably gonna complain to Fox. So Fox will likely make Sharp aware of the problem that he's created. Uh, you know, they'll have to. He's gonna have to dance on some eggshells. But the Falcons are upset because it undermines their uh, negotiating position and any potential trade talks. They have no more leverage now with Julio Jones because they can't say, well, like, we could just keep him because Julio clearly said, he's like, I am not playing for them next year. I am gone. So if I'm a team, I am licking my chops. They lost all their leverage. The Falcons are ticked, and rightly so. So with that, we will end the show with my potential landing spots 
for Julio Jones because it is fairly clear he's going to be gone and some team's probably going to be getting a bargain on him. I don't understand, I don't understand and I know why they're doing it because they want to clear cap space, but I don't understand why you'd want to get rid of Julio Jones if you're Atlanta. I mean, you got Matt Ryan there who's a solid quarterback. He's won an MVP. You just added a great tight end. You have a running game with Todd Gurley. He looked like he was better last year. You got Ridley. And I think you could, have an, you could have one of the best offenses in the NFL. Why are we getting rid of Julio? Now's not the time to get rid of Julio. You're trying to contend all of a sudden. But they want to get rid of him. They want to clear cap space. Whatever. I would just rework some contracts around. That's just me. I'm not running the Falcons, though. Not my money. So here are the potential landing spots for Julio Jones. Top four for me. And it's no secret, really. I think these make a lot of sense. Number one, Baltimore Ravens. Uh, as good as Hollywood Brown is as a deep threat, I think you need to get Lamar a legitimate number one receiver. I don't think they have a whole lot on the outside. J.K. Dobbins is a nice target. I love their tight ends, obviously, and Andrews. They need a legit number one receiver. They... Um, Lamar really hasn't played with an elite receiver yet. You got the shell of Des Bryant. You get Hollywood Brown, who's okay. You add Julio to that offense. They're putting up more than three points against Buffalo in the playoff game. I think with the tight end they have, and you can be able to run the ball, the dual threat with him, you add uh, Julio Jones, that's a must. Because that's already a Super Bowl talented roster. Like, that's Super Bowl caliber roster on paper. Uh, Julio said he wants to win. You'd be able to win in Baltimore. That would be a good move for both parties involved. You get a great quarterback. Uh, The quarterback is a dynamic playmaker on the outside. I really like Baltimore. Number two, New England Patriots. Now, it's no secret this is another team, but unlike Baltimore, they got no one on the outside. At least Baltimore had Hollywood Brown. New England, they've had poor drafts with receivers. They really don't have a whole lot of talent. Bill Belichick saw Tom Brady win last year. He's like, I am losing this divorce. He is a competitive guy. He wants to win. You saw how aggressive they were this offseason. They went on a Spending spree, both sides of the ball. Um, you have a good group veteran in Cam Newton. He really didn't have anyone to throw to last year. And I, everyone thinks, but I don't think Mac Jones is going to play this year like people think because I think Cam Newton was better than people realize. He led the NFL quarterbacks in rushing touchdowns. He had no one to throw to, like I said. Yeah, Julio, all of a sudden, you got an interesting piece. Now, is that a team that's going to win the Super Bowl? Probably not. Out of all these teams, they are the least talented by far, but Bill doesn't know how to draft receivers. I think they were aggressive early this offseason. I think they try and make a play for them. It's the least likely of the four, but I think that's a destination. New England's definitely going to try. That's a definite potential landing spot. Uh, then we got the San Francisco 49ers. That's another one. They got a ton of weapons. There's a lot of toys to play with. They got a new rookie, rookie quarterback who I would assume is going to come in around week four or five. Uh, but you want to make his life easier? Get him one of the best receivers in the NFL. And it's Shanahan over there with how creative he is and offensively you get a player like that with george kittle the way they run the ball mozart and they already have some interesting wide receiver weapons they got a lot of speed you add julio to the mix oh watch out especially with that defense you saw how that defense performed last year that's a super bowl caliber roster too and i think they would love to go get them they're smart down there i like what lynch does at the gm i think they know that too especially they got some leverage they wouldn't have to give up that much San Francisco 49ers. Now, this one is my last one is my favorite out of all the four. I think this would be the best fit between them. Uh, Tennessee Titans. Yeah, Ryan Tannehill. Mr. Finger Roll himself. Had a great year last year. Yeah, Tannehill's better than people realize because he's, one, he's more mobile than people think. He can run. He's got a pretty big arm. He didn't turn the ball over a whole lot. They run the ball well. You got Derrick Henry. Best running back in the NFL, in my opinion. And I think most people's opinion. 
The man's literally a superhero. He's a beast. He is a beast. A.J. Brown, underrated receiver. One of the most underrated receivers in the NFL. He is phenomenal. And they had a pretty good one-two punch with uh, Brown and Corey Davis. Corey Davis is now gone. You on an upgrade from Corey Davis? Julio Jones next to them. Oh, that would be a fun offense. They were a fun offense last year. I watched them live against the Colts, and it was like, yeah, this team's good. I like this team. If they only they had the defense there to go with it. But you add Julio instead of Davis, oh, mercy. That's That would be a fun team. Brown and Davis, or excuse me, um, uh, Brown and uh, Julio Jones with that running game, game over. Game over. That's my favorite. I think the 49ers are going to be the team that gets them just because I think they have the smartest front office GM-wise with Lynch. I think they are the ones that get that deal done. But I'm pulling for the Titans to get them. I think that would be fun. That's all we have for you. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Make sure you listen to us on the Unhinged Sports Network. We premiere every Thursday, uh, 4 o'clock Eastern, 5 o'clock Central. Um... Excuse me, 4 p.m. Central. 4 p.m. Central. Uh, <laughs> 5 o'clock Eastern. 4 p.m. Central uh, on the Unhinged Sports Network. A lot of great shows there. Uh, make sure you go to uh, Fubo TV, free 14-day trial. They're a sponsor of ours. They support the podcast. Uh, so you go, go to the link in our bio at, uh, on Twitter, at Dorm Room Dispute. Click the link. There's a link tree there. We have one for Fubo TV, and we have another one for our other sponsor, Fanatics. Get yourself a new Tennessee Titans Julio Jones jersey once he's there. And you can custom make one. And they'll kick a portion of that uh, money to the Unhinged Sports Network. So they'll be supporting us and the other great stations on here, uh, which is great. And then a primetime sports talk, obviously, your go-to source for gambling, sports talk, uh, fantasy advice, great podcasts like ours, Next Man Up. You can listen to the great MJ Hurley on there. Um, Yeah, a lot of great stuff. Going on. But anyway, that is all we have for you. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week and the playoff basketball. It should be fun.